beginnings in Israel, Christianity spread throughout the Western world, being the key force in the shaping of Western civilization. It was the teachings of Christ that served to civilize and educate an entire continent. It gave birth to the modern ideals of freedom, human dignity, equality, free market economics, and social justice. Christianity has been the most powerful and most positive formative influence on culture in the history of the world. Wherever Christianity flourishes, it brings personal, social, and cultural transformation. Now, at the dawn of the 21st century, Christian ideas are no longer welcome in our public institutions. Christianity is mocked and discredited in the media as a superstition of uneducated individuals. Christian moral foundations upon which our nation was founded are no longer welcome in the halls of justice and government. We are and have been for many years living in post-Christian times. How are believers in Christ to live in post-Christian times? You're listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Pat Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Let's join Pat now as he presents a message he delivered at a conference held at the Wintersburg Presbyterian Church in Los Angeles, California, entitled Christians in Post-Christian Times. Let's join Pat now as he describes the present culture and the challenges Christians face in post-Christian times. We hooked up with a ministry there in Hawaii, and this is the Bible Institute of Hawaii. We provide some of the best teachers throughout the state of Hawaii. We hope someday to send them all around the world as well. And of course, this is Evidence and Answers, the radio show that I host. It's a nationally syndicated show. But also we are really happy because this year, because of a lot of your participation and, and those of you that partner with me there here in the ministry, we were able to launch Evidence and Answers in the Philippines this year. We are on the number one talk radio show in Manila. Metro Manila has a population of 35 million. And so we are on the number one talk show out there now. And so each week we are literally reaching millions with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So thanks to the Lord and thanks to you who participate and partner with me, millions in the Pacific are hearing a powerful defense of the gospel out there. And of course, if you're free, right after the Gem Mount Hermon conference, I will be jetting on home because this year we have the apologetics conference in Hawaii. So if you're going to be in Hawaii in July, come join us. Our theme this year is Christianity and Science, Enemies or Allies. And we've got two uh, world-renowned scientists who are going to be joining me this year. So it's going to be an outstanding conference there, and we're really looking forward to it. So those are some of the things that I'll be doing in the next coming days. Well, as we begin, let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for our time here. We pray that we'd be equipped to engage our culture for your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, for nearly 2,000 years of Western history, Christianity has played a vital role in the shaping and the forming of this great civilization. From virtual obscurity, Christianity arose to conquer one of the greatest empires the world has ever seen, the Roman Empire. It was the teachings of Christ that served to civilize and educate an entire 
continent. This Christianity that gave birth to the modern ideals of freedom, human dignity, equality, free market economics, and social justice. Christianity forever established as universal human virtues the concepts of compassion, love, sacrifice, and forgiveness. The monuments of Christianity still remain from the cathedrals that stand throughout the land to the universities that have educated millions to the music of Bach and Beethoven to the literature of Dante, Dostoevsky, Tolkien, and C.S. Lewis. From the colonization of America to the creation of our democratic government to the abolition of slavery, Christianity has been the most powerful and most positive influence on culture in the history of the world. Wherever Christianity flourishes, it brings personal, social, and cultural transformation. In his book, Jesus in Beijing, author David Aikman recorded the words of a leading Chinese scholar from the Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Speaking to a group of Westerners in 2002, he stated this, one of the things we were asked to look into was what accounted for the success, in fact, the preeminence of the West all over the world. We studied everything we could from the historical, political, economic, and cultural perspective. At first, we thought it was because you had more powerful guns than we had. Then we thought it was because you had the best political system. Next, we focused on your economic system. But in 20 years, we have realized that the heart of your culture is religion, Christianity. That is why the West has been so powerful. The Christian moral foundation of social and cultural life was what made possible the emergence of capitalism and then the successful transition to democratic politics. We don't have any doubt about this. You see, these Chinese scholars recognize the foundation of the greatness of the West. Now at the dawn of the 21st century, what can be said of Christianity in the West and specifically here in America? Well, it doesn't take long to realize Christianity is no longer the powerful force it was in the past. In recent times, all remnants of our nation's Christian heritage is being systematically removed from the public square. Christian ideas are no longer welcome in our public schools and institutions of higher learning. Christianity is mocked and discredited in the media as a superstition of uneducated individuals. Christian moral foundations upon which our nation was founded are no longer welcome in our halls of justice and government. We are and have been for many years living in post-Christian times. Well, many Christians and churches have chosen to retreat behind the comfort of their church walls and isolate themselves from the culture. However, the Bible commands us to engage our culture and its ideas for Christ. Now, in order for a church to effectively engage its culture, it must understand the ideas that dominate the culture around us. 
You see, the gospel is never preached in isolation, but in the context of a culture and its ideas. Jesus was an effective communicator because he was master of the word of God, but he also understood the culture around him. Jesus knew the teachings of the Jewish law and the traditions and was able to address the issues of his time. In Matthew 5.17, in the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps the greatest teaching that has ever been uttered by a human here upon the earth, Jesus said this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Then, starting in verse 21, he opens, and with each new segment of his sermon, he opens with this phrase, You have heard it that it was said of long ago, but I say to you. Jesus here was addressing the traditions and teachings of the Jewish law. You see, when Jesus was quoting scripture, he would say, it is written. For example, when he confronted Satan in the temptation, he would say, when Satan brought up a challenge, he would say, it is written. Three times, it is written, it is written, it is written. But here, he says, you have heard that it was said. You see, Jesus was addressing the traditions and teachings of the Jewish culture. He knew their teachings, he knew their traditions, and could engage the ideas of his culture and his time. The Apostle Paul is considered the greatest missionary of church history, and Paul was effective because he knew the Word of God, but he also understood the culture and the ideas he was up against. In Acts 17, as he moves out of the land of Israel and is going into new territory, he entered into the great city of Athens, the center of learning in Greece and Rome. And there in the early verses, it said that he studied the city and the culture around him and the ideas of the Athenians and became familiar with their ideology, their theology, and their philosophy. And when he spoke to the Greeks, he was able to address them on their terms in words they could understand and even quoted their own prophets in verse 28 of chapter 17 when making his case. Now, when you understand the culture, you know how to connect with your audience, but you also know the ideas that stand against your message. This makes you a more effective and persuasive communicator for the gospel of Christ. When you can speak in terms your audience can connect with and address the ideologies that they embrace and answer their challenges, you become a powerful, persuasive communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in our culture, these are the dominant ideas of our time. The first is naturalism. This is the worldview of our culture. Naturalism is the worldview that teaches the material world is all that exists. It's best summed up in the words of Carl Sagan, who stated in his series, The Cosmos, the universe is all that is, ever was, and ever will be. Now, our question to Carl Sagan is this, how does he know that? Faith. Faith. Does it take faith to be an atheist? You bet it does. 
In fact, my professor always taught me it takes more faith to be an atheist hey, than a believer in Jesus Christ. Naturalism rejects the idea of a creator, a spiritual world, life after death, and an immaterial human soul and spirit. If there is no God, there is no Son of God, no Word of God, no acts of God. These stand in direct opposition to the Christian worldview. And this is the dominant worldview of our time, which rules our schools, our universities, government, and media. Naturalism, however, also leads to a dark and dreadful conclusion that we are mere accidents in time and space. Thus, there is no ultimate purpose, meaning, or significance for our existence. Now, in a radio debate I had with a popular atheist, when I made this point to him, he said, oh, that's just your opinion. And I said, no, I'm simply stating what you atheists have already been stating for centuries. And he said, oh, yeah, give me an example. And I said, well, here you go. Bertrand Russell, the great atheist philosopher, said this, man is the product of causes which had no provision of the end they were achieving. That his origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocation of atoms. That no fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. That all the labors of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the noonday brightness of human genius are destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system and that the whole temple of man's achievement must inevitably be buried beneath the debris of a universe in ruins. I told my friend, it is not we Christians who are making this claim. You atheists have been stating this for centuries. This is the ultimate conclusion of atheism or the naturalist worldview. I remember sharing this quote and this point in a communist country in East Asia. I'm sure you know which one that is. And after they read it, they were completely stunned at this statement and read it over several times. I've never seen a group of students read a quote so carefully. They sat there in shock, finally coming to the realization of the full implications of atheism and the dreadful and dark future that awaited each one of them if atheism were indeed true. Understanding the implications of naturalism or atheism provides a great opportunity, however, to share Christ if we are equipped and prepared and ready to engage this worldview. Now, the second dominant idea of our culture coming out of this worldview is relativism. The relativism of truth this is the ideology of our culture. Relativism of truth is the natural conclusion of the naturalist worldview. If there is no creator, truth finds its origin in man. And man is the creator of truth. Man becomes the measure of truth. However, man is flawed, limited in his intelligence and experience. There's no way he can know all nor can he be objective. There then is no fixed point by which to measure truth. Truth then 
can no longer be absolute. Truth changes from individual to individual, from culture to culture, and over time. So Christians who teach the Bible's teaching are absolute truth statements are often stonewalled by this ideology that tells them, true for you, but not for me. All truth is relative. You cannot say your version of truth is any better than mine. And this ideology dominates our universities. The third idea of our culture, arising out of the relativism of truth, is moral relativism. This is the lifestyle of our culture. If truth is relative, then morality naturally follows as relative. The majority in our culture believe that morality is determined by the individual or the culture, and thus it is always changing. For example, homosexuality may have been wrong a hundred years ago, but today it should be an accepted lifestyle. In our culture today, the popular saying is live and let live. No one has the right to tell anyone how to live their lives. Both the ideas of the relativism of truth and moral relativity quickly unravel, though, when individuals realize their contradictory nature and that is and the unlivability of their belief. Now, a fourth dominant idea is religious pluralism. This is the spirituality of our culture. Pluralism says that all religions are equally valid and true. There is no religion that has the truth on God, eternal destiny, morality, and spirituality. Many believe that it is not only wrong but dangerous to teach one religion is true and all others are false. It is claimed that it is this kind of thinking that has led to much of the wars and conflicts of today. I'm constantly facing this particular ideology. Just a few months ago, I was asked to do a funeral for a friend's mother, and I agreed to help her out, but I warned her. I said, Bethany, I said, Bethany, I'm warning you, I, I'm a Christian and I'm going to preach the gospel. And she said, oh, that's fine. We just need a priest there. So I said, okay. I said, if you're comfortable with me sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what I'm going to do. And she said, yeah, that's fine. So I said, all right. What I want is this. I want one or two family members to come up and share about your mother. What was she like? Let us get to know her. And then I'm going to come and present the gospel, how everyone can know God and have the hope of eternal life. All right? Okay, well, I got there, met the family, and the funeral began. And big mistake. First person got up there and shared and said, you know, Grandma loved to drink, loved to gamble, loved her scotch, I'll always go to Vegas, win money, and now, you know, she was a good woman, and she's in heaven gambling and winning all the time and drinking scotch. Um, and yeah, because it doesn't really matter what you believe because we're all going to get to heaven and we're going to see grandma and we're going to gamble with her. And uh, and I was sitting in the back going, all right, I'm in trouble here. <laughs> then the second person got up and shared the same thing. said, grandma loved to gamble. Hey, grandma, she was good at gambling. And she loved her scotch. Oh, 
talked about how she would gamble and drink scotch and do all this and that, and you could hear her swearing at the machine. But then when she was winning, uh, and all this kind of thing, and she said, but now she's in heaven, and we'll all be in heaven, and we'll all be gambling at the great casino in heaven. And, um, and then it was my turn to come up. And I said, okay, after all this. All right, here we go. So I went up there, and of course, you know, I preached from the same text with any, if you know, John 14. You know, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms, and I go there to prepare a place for you. And they were like, Oh, yeah, preach it, man. And I said, You know, imagine God's heavenly mansion, and there's a room prepared from eternity past just for you. And I talked about how wonderful that is going to be. And they were like, yeah, preach it, preach it. Second point, Jesus said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you there myself. So I said, not only do you have a room, Christ is going to be your escort there to the heavenly mansion. And they said, yeah, all right. But then I got to point three. Thomas said, Lord, how will we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the whole room fell dead silent. And I said, there's only one way to eternal life. And that's through the Son of God. That's through Jesus Christ. And as I was finishing, I looked up and I could see all the evil stares at me. And then, you know, I said, if you'd like to know God through His Son, Jesus Christ, pray this prayer with me. And I led them in the sinner's prayer. And it was dead silent. But I closed in prayer and concluded the service. Well, afterwards in Hawaii, just like out here, you have a meal at the funeral home. And, of course, they usually invite the speaker you know, to the <laughs> meal. And, of course, as I was standing there waiting to be invited, no one invited me. Everybody was gone. So I thought, you know, maybe I'll go over there and see if I can minister and share some words of encouragement to the people there. And I got there, and there was a line, you know, waiting for the food. And I kind of came, and everyone kind of stared at me and gave me the evil eye. And I thought, never mind. I think I'll just uh, go home here. And so I spoke to a few people and then made my way home. But pluralism, that is the ideology, the spirituality of our culture today. Pluralism goes against the teachings of Christ and a simple study of the basics of all world religions soon reveals they teach contradictory truth claims. They teach contradictory doctrines. Philosopher Steve Turner summed it up best in his book, Nice and Nasty, stating, We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. In other words, on the very basics, we are making contradictory claims. So pluralism cannot be true. Well, the final ideology of our time is consumerism. Consumerism is defined as essentially a never-ending desire to possess material goods and achieve personal success. It is a systematic creation and encouragement of the desire to possess material goods and personal success in ever greater amounts. 
Richard Newhouse stated that consumerism is living in a manner that is measured by having rather than being. Many people use the terms materialism and consumerism interchangeably, but there is a difference. Consumerism is much more than materialism. It is a way of perceiving the world that has affected all of us, especially those of us in the West, young and old, rich and poor, believer and non-believer in Christ, in very significant ways. Well, that concludes part one of Pat's message entitled Christians in Post-Christian Times. If you miss any part of Pat's message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this entire study along with other messages and interviews from Pat. Pat's ministry with the Pacific Apologetic Center relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by this message today, please let Pat know and consider partnering with Pat in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. This will help keep Pat on the air and allow him to proclaim God's message throughout the islands. So please consider partnering with Pat today by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. Join us again next week for part two of Pat's message right here on Evidence and Answers.